Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6 and put a marker there. Then flip over to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we're going to be at today. Uh, I want to take just a moment here as we get started with today's message to just reiterate that Home Home at Harvest is starting this Wednesday night. And uh, it's a small group setting where we're going to talk about how to help your family make their home at harvest. We're going to talk about a little bit of everything, vision, mission, philosophy, kind of a little bit about everything the way, way it works. And so if you have recently made your home here, started attending here, I want to really encourage you to come be, be involved in that. Please go by and sign up either at the connection point, which is out here, to my right and your left, or you can sign up online. Just click on the merge card and select Home at Harvest there as you fill that out, and it'll send us that information, okay? Um, we'd love for you to, to get plugged in and find out how to help your family feel at home here at Harvest. Um, in recent years, in the fall, every September, we do six-week mission pledges, and you guys are amazing at that. We really felt like we wanted to make a shift with that, however, this year, and move away from six-week pledges and move to... You choosing what you could do over and above your normal tithe and offering over the course of a year. So we're going to be talking about that just a little bit today. It's not the entire message um, at, at all. That's not the focus of what today's whole thing is. But for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about a heart for the kingdom and what that means. And we're going to be talking about the six-week pledges. So today, when you or not six-week pledges, these year-long uh, commitments. So today, when you leave, um, there'll be ushers at the door, and they're going to have, it's a little four-by-six card, if you will, that has um, a place that you can put your name and an amount. It also tells you what, what it is that these um, commitments will go to above and beyond. Yeah, I forgot to bring one up. I left them out there, so Leroy's bringing me one. I appreciate that. Um, it's just a real simple card. It'll list at the bottom there um, what, the, what the initiatives are that these funds will go to. Um, and at the top it says, with God's help, over and above my tithe and offering, my normal tithes and offerings, um, feel like the Lord would help me to do this. I want you to find something that works in your family budget um, that you feel like the Lord would ask of you. Some of you are going to go, hey, we want to make a commitment of $500 and I'm going to write you a check tomorrow. Okay, whatever you want to do. Some of you are going to say, I think the Lord would ask us to give a million dollars over the course of the next year. Y'all laugh. Y'all have no idea, right? The Lord might move on someone's heart and we're going to praise the Lord for that. At any rate, Every penny of this goes towards um, these initiatives to help us fulfill that. And we're going to be talking about why this matters today, okay? Um, And so that's what we're going to be doing. Again, we're just shifting the strategy. We're not going to come back in the fall and say, oh, by the way, we're not going to do that. We're just shifting the strategy to the spring. Um, Instead of six weeks, we're asking you to consider what the Lord would help you to do over the next year, okay? Um, To to, to develop that heart for the kingdom. And so uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but I just wanted you to be aware of where this is all Um, where we're going with this, and you'll recognize the card when you see it, okay? Um, Today, I want to talk about the principle of treasure. The principle of treasure we find in Scripture. um, Believe it or not, it's one of the guiding principles for us here at the church and everything that we do, everything that that we believe, the the principle of treasure. And you'll understand that in a minute. And and some of you, I see some of you laughing because you're like, oh, yeah, 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 it's all about the money, huh? Uh Uh-uh. We'll explain it here in a second. Because when Jesus talked about true riches, Sort of, how many of you remember in the parable, if you give, it'll become, come back to you. And if you give, right, that, that you'll be entrusted with true riches. Well, what are true riches? True riches are souls. True riches are people. True riches 
are the true riches of the kingdom are you and I. We are the church. We are the ones. It's all about us. It's all about God rescuing us. And so when we talk about this, um, just understand that's, that's where we're going. So I'm giving you some groundwork as we get into this series so you understand the, the layout for all of it. You know, when we talked last fall and anytime we've talked about uh, the principle of tithing, we never really emphasize and focus in on an amount or a percentage nearly as much as we do at putting God first. That's what we're really after. That we put God first and foremost in everything. Yes, in our finances, but in every area of our life. And we want to emphasize that again, that we've got to put God first in everything that we do. So just like the principle of tithing, I think the principle of treasure is just as important to know and just as important to understand. And so with that, we're going to jump right into this. Now, I know some of you are going to go, what? But today we only have two points. I always have three points. But today it's just two. See, I almost did that dreaded Texas thing. <laughs> you better not do that. Two points, Okay. Um, just, just to, we might find a, dig up a third one along the way, but we'll see. So when we talk about the principle of treasure, we're going to talk about it from two aspects. The first one is the, the treasure of the kingdom. What's the treasure of the kingdom? Well, in Matthew 13, Jesus is giving a lot of parables, lots of parables. And he's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about what is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is like this. And so a lot of times it starts with the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like this. And again, the kingdom of God is like. Jesus told a lot of stories. I love a good story. Don't you love a good story? I, man, I can listen to a good storyteller all day long, but they got to be good. Now, uh, these days, you know, us, us young folks, we, we like to watch stories, right? That's why we like movies, we like TV shows, and we, we like the story. If it's got a good story, it can have terrible actors, but if it's a good story, it just might turn out okay. Uh, that's like, you know, uh, they just had the Oscars, right? Uh, and in the Oscars, you know what happens almost every time? Stories, uh, movies that have great storylines win. Movies that people actually like and go see don't normally win. Typically, that's the way it happens. But the great storyline, the one the actors really have to make, make it sell, and they're amazing, and a good actor can do that. I love a great story, and Jesus told some fantastic story. In this, in this parable we're going to look at, about the treasure of the kingdom, it's a one-verse parable. One verse. As far as I can find, this only happens twice in Scripture, so it's kind of an important deal. Two times in Scripture we find one-verse parables, and this is one of them. So when we look at Matthew 13, verse 44, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Great parable, right? Find a treasure, bury it, don't tell anybody it's there, then go sell everything you've got, to have enough money to buy that so that you can have the treasure. We'd be overjoyed, right? Man, it sounds really plausible. I like that idea that you can find something, bury it, buy it, and keep it, right? I like the idea of the way that works out. And yet this is probably one of the more misunderstood parables in the Bible, I think. Because there's a traditional meaning that has been associated with this verse probably my entire life. I've heard it uh, relayed one way. I've heard it relayed from the idea that the kingdom of God is the treasure, that we find it and we give up everything else to gain it. It's a pretty common way for that, this parable to be explained. But I'm going to give you three reasons why I think this parable, why that's, mis, uh, why that's incorrect and why that's wrong. I'm going to give you three reasons why I think that. Number one, you can't find it. You can't find the kingdom of God. You and I can't. We can't hide it and we can't buy it. Amen? 
Some of you are looking at me like, "Mm -mm, preacher, I don't know about you yet. If the treasure represents the kingdom, we can't find it. You and I, it's unable to be found from us. We didn't know where to look. God found us while we were still sinners, right? Uh, Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't know where to look. It's kind of like most of the time when, let's be honest, guys, it's kind of like most of the time when we go on a trip, if the treasure's the hotel and the instruction manual is you got to figure it out, you're lost. We don't know where to look. Maybe it's your car keys in your house and you need your spouse to help you find it. We don't know where to look. But we still sometimes think that we can find you. And there's a great song, I Found Jesus. It's wrong. I didn't know where to look for him. People may say, well, you come to church and that's where you find No, 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 Jesus is the one that drew us to be here. He's the one that has done the seeking and the searching all the time. We didn't know where to begin, and yet he draws us to him so that we can have that life-giving relationship with him. He found us. He searched for us. He rescued us. He drew us out. He's the one that set our feet on a solid rock to stay. I didn't know where to look, and yet he found us. When we go back to the very beginning, thank you. When we go back to the very beginning, from the very get-go, we find that this is the truth. Go back to Adam and Eve. Did Adam and Eve go looking for God? No. The Bible says in the cool of the day, God went looking for Adam and Eve. And when did he go looking for them, before or after they sinned? Listen, y'all got to wake up. I need to like start dropping stuff or throwing things. When did he go looking for them, before or after they sinned? After. The Bible only tells of one time, after. That gives the idea that that was the normal commonplace thing that God did. But here's the point. After they sinned, after they messed up, after they had blown it, God went looking for them. God does the same thing with us. He is searching and seeking for those who will be saved. He is looking for those that are saying, I need Jesus, and I'm, I'm willing, and I'm able, and he draws them to him, and he saves them, and he sets them up. It's the way it works. Now, in golf, I, I, I like to play golf. I haven't gotten to play golf nearly as much as I used to because, you know, I have three kids, and, well, every parent knows that's the way that works, right? But in golf, when someone hits a good shot... You know, you'd say, oh, that's a good shot. And the common response would be, oh, an old blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while. Right? In other words, that's how often I hit a good shot. But the thing about golf is it only takes one good shot to get you to come back again. You'll try 18 holes to find one good one. And if you find one good one, it's easy to get you to come back. But that's the idea. You didn't know where to look, and yet that's the way you, you found it. Listen, God draws us. We couldn't find God because we didn't even know where to look, and yet he found us and drew us in. The Bible says that we were blinded to the gospel. As sinners, we were lost. We were blinded to it. We're blinded to it, so we can't find it. Second of all, you can't hide it. You can't hide it. The kingdom of God is way too big to be hidden, way too big. It's enormous. It's worldwide. It is expansive. It is a worldwide entity, an organism that cannot be put to death. It can't be uh, silenced. It can't be hidden. It can't, nothing. Now, can we hide the light inside of us? Yeah, the Bible says not to do that. It says that we don't put a, 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 our lamp under a bushel to hide the light. No, no, no. We're to let the light shine. So we might be able to silence that within us, but you can't silence the kingdom of God. You can't hide it. So you can't buy it, or you can't, you can't find it. You can't hide it. And third of all, we can't buy it. It's not for sale. Think back to, to in Acts when uh, uh, Peter and John have gone and, and here they are, they, they've set the, the, the woman free. 
Um, and Simon the sorcerer says, how did you do that? Let me buy that power. And they say, God forgive you, basically. Why? Because you cannot buy the power of God. You can't buy it. It's not something that can be purchased. We can't buy our way into heaven. It doesn't work that way. So this is not a parable, a parable about giving up enough to get the, the kingdom of God. It's not about doing enough to gain the kingdom of God. It's not the way it works. So let me give you what I think is the real meaning for this. First of all, the field is the world. The man is Jesus. And the treasure is us. Us. We're the treasure. You and I. We are the treasure. So if the field represents the world. Jesus came as a man and he gave up everything so that he could find us because we're the treasure that was worth giving up everything in order to gain. What did Jesus do? He left heaven. Streets of gold. We, know, we all probably know somebody who, who they got a little bit more money than we do, right? And we think they're rich. You know, statistically thinking, uh, uh, saying if you find somebody that they're worth about $150,000 and you ask them, well, man, you know, to, to somebody who is worth $35,000, they're rich. But if you go to that $150,000 person, they'll say, no, 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 no way. I'm not rich at all. Somebody who has a half a million dollars, now they're wealthy. And you go to that person that has a half a million dollars, they would say, oh, no, no, I'm not wealthy at all. We're just getting by. And then that person would say, but if you had somebody who had $5 million, now they're wealthy. And that person that was worth $5 million, you know what they say? No, 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 no. Maybe their life's a little bit easier, but you know what? We're not rich. Now, Warren Buffett, that guy's rich. See, it's all a matter of perspective. But think about Jesus. You talk about rich. You talk about wealthy, streets of gold, gates of, uh, of precious jewels, just amazing, the, the palace and the, the setting that he lived in. And yet he said, this is worth giving up in order to be able to go and buy something that is truly valuable, something that is worth everything. And that's us. He forsook everything so that he could come to earth as a man, that he could come and be, that the creator could come and be one of the created so that he could show us a better way, so that he could redeem us, so that he could pull us out and say, you are valuable, you are worthy, you are precious, and you are mine. That's what he came to do, amen? So he came. We are the treasure that's worth giving up. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. At a price. He paid. He paid with his own life, with the precious blood. He paid for you and I. He gave it all so that we could know what it is to have everlasting life, so that we could have a relationship with him that spans far beyond just this mere existence of 75 or 80 or 100 years, far beyond that. He paid the price to give it to us. So this is not a parable about us doing something to get the kingdom. It's, it's, this is a parable about being the kingdom and Jesus paying the price to get us as his treasure. Jesus is the one who did something to get us, amen? He did it once and for all. There never has to be another sacrifice made because he paid the price. It's not about us paying the price because Jesus already paid for it. He came looking for us and he found us and we are the treasure to God. Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says that we are a special treasure to God. You are his own special treasure. He's chosen us. You and I, we are that special treasure. Now, I want you to notice something in this parable, though. It says that God bought the whole field. The whole field. He's already paid for the whole field. Everything. 
That means he's paid the price for everyone. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute. That sounds like universalism there. Uh Uh-uh. He paid the price, but we still have to choose to receive it. It's paid. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Paid. Here you go. We still have to choose to receive that free gift. We still have to choose to receive it and allow it to be applied to our life. He's already reconciled the whole world to himself. It's just up to each person if they want to receive it or not. But that's how good God is and how valuable we are to God. Have you ever thought about how valuable you are? I know people, amen. I'm agreeing with you, young man. He said really valuable. You are. You and I are very, very valuable. I know people that, you know, try to figure out what's the net worth and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you keep up with the stock market at all or anything, then you saw this last week. There's an, an app that's out called Snapchat. Snapchat, which I think is garbage and you shouldn't let your kids have it, but that's my story. Snapchat went through an IPO, initial public offering, made available for people to buy stocks for the very first time in their company. Now, the guy was worth, uh, let's just be generous and say he's worth about a billion dollars. We're being generous beforehand, what the company was worth. After the public offering, it now made him worth $27 billion. That's a lot of money, right? I, I think if that were you or I, I think we'd be okay, right? I think we could probably write a check for our kids and they'd never have to worry about anything for the rest of their lives. By the way, he's 26 years old. You should probably teach your kids how to be computer programmers and not baseball players, Okay. billion is what his worth is now. Pretty impressive, huh? Wow. Overnight. I mean, literally within one hour, he went from being worth, let's be generous, saying he's worth a billion, with a B, bubba, billion, to being worth 27. Makes him the sixth wealthiest man in America. Wow. And you know what? When it comes to the kingdom, he's worth the same as me and you. He's worth the same. He's worth the same. That, that, here's the thing. How, how do you decide how valuable something is? At that IPO, they decided that his company that has never, ever posted a profit, never once actually made money, is worth $27 billion. Never. You look at it. It's worth 27 because that's what someone's willing to pay for it, right? Uh, years ago, I'm a baseball fan. Go Cards. Down with the Cubs. A few years ago, a guy named Barry Bonds, playing baseball for the San Francisco Giants, was chasing the, the national or the, the record, Major League Baseball record for the most home runs in a single season. Well, at this particular ball game, a guy, he's there, he's at the ball game, goes out, gets his drink, gets a hot dog, and he's walking back in when Barry Bonds hits his home run over the right field fence. This guy, not even in his seat, manages to catch the ball without spilling his beer or losing his hot dog. First of all, that had to be a guy that caught it because, you know, it's the way it works. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But he managed to do it because he wasn't losing the things. So he catches it. Well, immediately he's whisked away, right? He's taken back. They authenticate the baseball. Make sure, you know, so that he'll be able to sell it one day. Yes, this is actually the one. They authenticate it right then and there. And they tell this guy, now listen, this baseball is now worth between 3 and $5 million. 
That baseball that cost the team about $1.47 to buy is now worth three to five million dollars. Why? Because that's what somebody was willing to pay for it. The value of anything is what somebody's willing to pay for it. Now, when I was a kid growing up, I grew up in a, in a pretty unique setting. My family was not wealthy at all. Just your average run-of-the-mill, run middle, lower-to-middle-class family. My, family. my parents were able to provide for our needs. We didn't have a whole lot of excess. We didn't get to go on a ton of trips. It's just kind of the way it was growing up. Probably grew up like many of you. The thing that was unique is I had friends that their families lived in that edition. You know what I'm saying? Everybody knew about their house. I had friends that grew up on the other side of the tracks that didn't know which house they were going to be staying in from one night to the next because they didn't have anything. So I had friends in, on both sides, and it didn't matter. I, I, I didn't grow up you know, all uh, just enamored with people who had money. I didn't grow up, uh, you know, kind of going, oh my goodness, intimidated by people who didn't have it. I, I kind of grew up with just an appreciation for hard work because I saw it work on both sides. Whether you had a lot of money or whether you didn't have any, if you worked hard, it seemed like things always got better. So I learned then and there that's kind of the way that it worked. Way that it worked. Well, I heard a pastor tell a story one time about how he and his staff, one afternoon, they were having a staff meeting. He had noticed as their church was growing, that they were more really successful, financially well-off people that were attending their church. And he noticed that the young staff started migrating to all the people who had. They were spending a little bit more time with them than they did others. He thought, this is not right. So one day at staff meeting, um, he goes out to go to the restroom, and a lady has come in there to the front office, and she says, you know, I just got something on my heart. I'd just like for a pastor to pray with me. And the aha light goes off, and he says, hang on, ma'am. We're having a pastor's meeting. I'm going to go get all the guys. We're going to come out and we're going to pray for you, okay? Great. So he goes into the staff and he says, guys, listen. There's a lady out here in the lobby. She's asking for prayer. And I want you to know, you won't be able to tell by the way she's dressed, but she is loaded. And after we pray for her, I'll tell you how much she's worth. You already know where this is going. So they go out. And they pray for it, and oh, the staff, they're just doting over her. And Here's my business card. If you need anything, here, let me, I'm going to put my cell phone number on the back. You need anything at all, you give me a call, and I'll be right there, Johnny, on the spot. I'll help you with whatever I can do to help you. So she leaves, and immediately the door closes, and they all kind of, okay, and they walk up and say, okay, well, he goes, guys, let me tell you how much she's worth. She is worth the blood of Jesus. Can I tell you that everybody who comes to harvest is worth the blood of Jesus? At the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. What you have in the bank or what you don't have in the bank doesn't matter. At the end of the day, being worth the blood of Jesus is all that's going to separate us from those that don't. That is the only value to have assigned to your life that at the end of the day is going to matter. We've got to know what we're worth. It's the highest price ever paid for anybody because God gave his one and only son so that we could have eternal life. That's what matters. You know, I can remember, have you ever known anybody that just everywhere they went, they found money? Anybody? Just seems like everywhere they looked, there was a dollar or five or a hundred. You know, Bill Clymer, 
rest his soul. How many times, Mike, did Bill come in and say, hey, I was out there in the parking lot. Here's a $100 bill I found. Help them kids go to camp or he'd do something with it or he'd, you know, maybe, maybe he found it and didn't tell us and didn't spend it on stuff. I'm not really sure. But who knows? The guy always found money. Every time he turned around, he was always finding money. Why did he find money? Because he was looking for it. He always had his head down. It didn't matter. He could find quarters and nickels and pennies everywhere. The man had a pocket full of change. By the end of every day, he went home because he always was looking for it. See, that's the way God is. He's always looking for us. He's always looking for treasure. And he's saying, there's one and there's one and I've paid the price. Why don't you come home to me? Why don't you come with me? The price has already been paid. We've been rescued. We've been redeemed. Come home with me. We are the treasure of the kingdom, amen? Amen. You and I, we're the treasure. We're the ones that God paid the price so that we could have eternal life. And this is why we do heart for the kingdom commitments and missions pledges. This is why we do this. Because we're trying to get more of God's treasure into the kingdom. That's why we do it. We're we're trying to make that more people into the kingdom, more treasure into the treasury. We're trying to get it from, from where it's not supposed to be into the found category. We're trying to move it from lost to found. Because that's the way that it works. So we've got to understand the treasure of the kingdom is us. We've got to understand the principle so that we can understand the treasure of our heart. The treasure of the heart. You know, in, in, in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus gives us another brilliant phrase, another brilliant scripture here. And it's so true, and it just simply says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's really plain, but I've heard it misquoted quite often, right? I've heard it said that where your heart is, there your treasure will be. That's just simply not true. A lot of people have their hearts in a lot of places, but that's not where the treasure goes. Let me tell you, your heart is going to follow your treasure. If we put our treasure in, in a stock market or in a particular stock, if you were to have invested in Snapchat and gotten one of those, uh, one of those stocks along the way, you, you know what you'd be doing? You'd have been watching it all week. What in the world's going on, right? All of a sudden, we're going to have a newfound interest in the stock market. But here's the other thing. If we buy a boat, then we're going to be putting lots of time and effort into making sure that boat runs great and looks good and gets to the lake just as often as it possibly can, right? We're going to be doing everything we can to make sure that that happens. I understand that's more of a a, a man's um, analogy or example. Uh, Let me see if we can find one for the ladies. How about this? Uh, If we put our treasure in Dillard's, we're going to be visiting Dillard's a whole lot more often, right? Because that's where our treasure is. Our heart's going to follow that. If you put your treasure, it's just the way it works. If you put your treasure in shoes, if you put your treasure in, in, in your kids, if you put your treasure, wherever you put your treasure, your heart is bound to follow. It's going to follow your treasure. Wherever you put it, if you put it in your savings account, your, treasure is going to fo- your heart is going to follow that. Wherever you put your treasure, that's where our heart goes. When we save money for our kids to go to college, when we put money away for them to have down the road, what happens? We want to make sure that's growing so that they have a chance. We've got to make sure that we're putting our treasure where the kingdom says it's supposed to go so that our heart will follow it. Over the course of the next week, between this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be banking these commitments where we're going to direct our treasure to go so that our heart can follow, so we can develop a heart for the kingdom. 
I want to see the treasury of, of God's kingdom grow with as many souls as we possibly can. This last week, I, I was watching a video from a, a pastor named Jerry Lawson. He pastors a, a Church of Christ church down in Alabama. And I'm not hating on Alabama, but I couldn't watch the video very often. There's so much Alabama memorabilia in the video. Oh, my goodness. At least get some Sooners in there or something. Get saved. As I was watching this video, he, he made this statement that has really stuck with me. And the statement was this. Every church needs to develop the idea that they're the only church that's going to do anything to win people to Jesus. Every church needs to develop the idea that they're the only church in their community that's doing anything to win people to Jesus. Why do we have seasons of change? So that we can meet basic needs, so that people can find out that they're valuable and that maybe we can get them to transition from being in the lost category to the found category and into the treasury as uh, uh, the treasure of God. Why do we have fall fest so people can become acquainted with what the church is about and that we love people so that they can make that adjustment from being a, a part of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? Why do we make that adjustment? Why do we invest there? Why do we invest in Af Africa tabernacles? Why? Because we want people to make that transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We want them to go from the lost to the found category. We want to see them make that adjustment. Why do we invest in all of these things? Because we want to see the kingdom of God increase. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty much willing to do anything short of sin to see people get to know Jesus. I thought there would be a whole lot more amens to that. Let me run that back by you real short. I'm willing to do anything short of sin to see people come to know Jesus. Amen? Now, here's the deal. You and I have to feel the same way on that. Paul said, I will do anything. I will become all things so that by, some, by, by all measures I might win some. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Paul didn't say that every evangelistic effort is going to hit a home run and be a grand slam. He said, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that by all things I might win some. So that somebody can come to know Jesus. We're going to put our efforts into it. We're going to give it everything we've got. We're going to bust our tails. Why? Because we want to see the kingdom advance. So when we talk about these commitments, please don't take this as a guilt trip at all. I don't want you to ever feel that way. This is something that I want you and your family to feel comfortable with that is over and above your tithe that works with your budget and it's something that you believe God's asking you to do. Now, for some of you are going, Pastor, you know, I, I might be able to give $5 a month. Whatever you feel like God can do. For some of you, you're going, Pastor, I, you know, we can afford to do $1,000 a month. Okay, whatever you feel. Some of you are going, you know, let's see, what's a million divided by 12? $144,000 a month? My math's wrong, but anyway. Here's the deal. Whatever God puts on your heart, whatever you believe, and here's the verse I want you to really anchor in on for this, and it's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And it says in the New Living, and I love this the way it says it, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I want you to give because you want to and because you want to see the kingdom advanced. Don't give reluctantly. Uh, I'm not really sure. And don't give out of pressure. There's, this is not a pressure thing. I'm simply presenting you what the scripture says. And then from there, I want you to decide. This is what we believe God wants you to do. That's why we want you to fill out a card. Not because we're going to call you in six months and say, hey, 
you haven't filled out your commitment. Never going to happen. But when we total these up, we know what we can kind of plan towards. How much can we afford to invest in tabernacles in, in Africa? How much can we afford to invest wherever? This helps us be able to do that. Listen, if you don't remember anything else that I say today, I want you to remember this. You're God's treasure. You are God's treasure. He paid the highest price imaginable, the precious blood of his one and only son, so that you could come to know Jesus. You are, you are the treasure. And we, in turn, give of our treasure to the kingdom because we, want, because we want to and because God can take treasure and turn it into true riches. He can take our treasure and turn it into true riches. Amen? That's what we're asking God to do. You remember earlier I, I told you that there are people who find money everywhere they go? I, I by the way, am not one of those people. Mm -mm. I have attention to detail when I'm focused on it. You know what I'm saying? Like when I'm taking the time, okay, I can pull out all kinds of things that are wrong, find a comma that shouldn't be there or was supposed to be there. That kind of stuff works for me. But like when I'm walking along or when I'm driving, just ask Rachel. It drives her crazy because I'm looking over here and looking over there, you know, and I'm kind of, she says I, I sweave. That's swerving and weaving all at the same time down the road, okay? So if you see me and I'm getting close to you, don't worry, it's going to go back the other way when I turn my head and go that way, right? I'm not really paying attention to right here. Look up, uh, up and around. So I don't ever know. I'm not one of those people that finds the money everywhere I go. But I want to tell you about a guy who was that way. He was always looking for it and always valued it. Uh, this young man was incredibly frugal. So much so that we might refer to him as tight. Okay, he squeaked when he walked. He was so tight for crying out loud. We all know people like that. Don't point fingers, okay? But we all know people like that. I'm not trying to start fights between your marriages. This guy, he was always saving his money and holding on to it. And as a teenager, his whole family would borrow from him until he learned about interest. Then nobody borrowed from him. There was even a point that his parents were buying a new car and they liked to pay cash for their cars. And they thought, you know, if we just had a couple of thousand dollars more, we could buy a better car and it would really change the game. And so they go to this young man and they say, hey, son, we need to borrow. And he says, okay, great. Uh, now, I know that you like to pay cash, but here's the deal. I'm going to have to charge you 7% interest. Because if you went to the bank, you could get it for nine, so I'm really cutting you a deal. And they said, okay. And they hurried to pay him back. This guy, I mean, literally... It came to an end. Nobody wanted to borrow from him anymore. Anyway, their family was on vacation. And while they were on vacation, his, uh, his girlfriend was there with him. And while they were on vacation, they were there at the shopping district. And he decided that he was going to buy her some things. Before his parents realized what was going on, this young man was about 22 years old. Before they realized what all had happened, he had bought her a coach purse. He had bought her a bracelet from Tiffany's. And when his dad realized, hey, there's something happening, it's because he was at the watch shop buying matching Movado watches. He had spent several thousand dollars right then and there. And his dad looked at him and said, so what are you doing spending all your money? And he said, it's okay, dad. She's worth it. 
Dad looked at his mom and said, I think our boy's in love. See, I think that's what Jesus did. See, I think Jesus went to his father and said, hey, Dad, we've been trying this, and I, I want to purchase them. I want to pay the price. And his dad said, no, son, you need to understand it's a hefty price. And Jesus said, that's okay. They're worth it. But son, do you understand that doing that will cost you everything? Yes, they're worth it. See, the kingdom's like a treasure hidden in the world. And a man with joy, with joy, gave up everything, sold everything that he had, gave it all up so that he could buy whole field. Not just the treasure. He bought everything that went with it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, on Wednesday nights, we end our prayer time by asking ourselves one question. What is the Lord saying to me? I want you to ask yourself that question. Lord, what are you saying to me through this message today? What is it that you are speaking to my heart what are you speaking to me because see I want you to understand you are valuable to God he paid the price and in the, in the, see when we fall in love with him we, we do the same thing we're willing to give we're willing to give everything in, in order to advance the kingdom so that others can know because we want to see others fall in love with Jesus just the same way that we have and this morning we want to pray with you no matter what you're going through, we want to pray with you. But this morning, here's what we got to do. See, if you need prayer for any area in your life, we want to agree with you. We want to connect with you and pray over those needs and pray with it. If this morning, maybe that's for, for your, your marriage or, or for your kids or for a doctor's report, or if you want to come to know Jesus, you want to accept him as your Savior, we want to pray for you in that regard too. We want you to, to be willing to make that commitment. We want you to be, don't want you to be embarrassed to come forward and to receive prayer. Because here's the thing. We all need prayer. I need prayer. We all do. So I don't want you to ever be afraid to, to say, yeah, pastor, that's me and I need prayer. So this morning, if that's you and you'd say, pastor, I need prayer. Will you slip up a hand? There's nobody looking. It's between you and God. Just hold your hand up. I need prayer. Who else? All right. Okay. The value that God has placed on each of us is immense. <laughs> immense. He paid a price I couldn't do. There's no way, as a parent, I would say, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice my one and only son so that somebody else can choose or not choose. I wouldn't do it. And yet God did. If everyone would look this way, all across the room, I'd like for you to all stand to your feet. Don't rush to the doors, please. As you stand, there were hands that went up all across the room. 
He's Pastor, I need prayer. I need prayer. I need God to do a miracle in my life. I've got something going on. I need prayer. Whatever you need prayer for, we want to, we want to agree with you for. And in just a second, our prayer team, our elders, they're going to make their way to the front. And we're going to be here to agree with you and to pray for whatever your need may be. Again, whether that's family, whether it's finances, whether it's to accept Jesus, to realize that you are so loved and you've never realized it from that perspective before and today you do and you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Whatever you raised your hand for, we want to agree with you. In just a moment, Starlin and the worship guys, they're going to do one more song. They're going to sing and we're going to create an atmosphere of worship. And if you need prayer, we want to invite you. And so right now, our prayer team, they're going to begin to make their way. If you raised your hand, we want you to get out and make your way at the same time with them. Whatever you need prayer for, we want to agree with you. So if you raised your hand, and come on, let's, we want to agree with you. Begin to make your way this way.